Well, we are in Ephesians chapter 5, so take your Bibles and locate that section of Scripture, would you? And let me say at the outset uh, just some affirming remarks concerning what you sang about. That God is in the business of changing lives. Amen? Not playing games. He's not pretending. He's not virtue signaling. He's actually changing lives. He's moving people from darkness to light. He's moving people from death to life. He's moving them from depravity to different this is what God is doing across the board. And it's happening at times even when we're not aware of it. Just last week after the 11 o'clock service, a man came to the front just in tears. In one sense, after decades of deception and sin, just begging for God's mercy and grace. Two weeks ago at Smoky Row, one of our young moms, who's being mentored by another one of our moms, realized she's never really been saved and bowed her head and surrendered her life to Christ. And there's stories like this being written on a regular basis. And so this is God changing lives by his power and by his grace. And without a doubt, these people join the ranks of God's people. They see a change in their steps because there's been a change in their seed. They're new people. They're born from above. And Paul talks about this very change in Ephesians 4 and 5. And we've been focusing on a section of these chapters that describes this change using the symbols of light and darkness. We've been narrowing in on verses 3 to 14 the last two weeks. And so would you take your Bibles, you're there in Ephesians 5, now put a finger on verses 3 to 14. And in these verses, Paul really lays out for us four realities about light and darkness. We covered the first one last week. We're going to pick back up now in verse 7. And look at the remaining three realities that are in these eight verses. So, with your eyes now on Ephesians 5, 7, here's the second reality. It is that darkness necessarily is distanced from light. Let me show you how we draw this from verses 7, 8, and 9. Here's what Paul would say to us. Follow along with me. Therefore, and notice that that word requires us to look back at the previous reality, which was that Darkness depends upon deception to thrive. He talks a good bit about deception in the previous three or four verses and not to be taken in by that. And so in light of the fact that deception does exist, but that we've been brought out of it, do not become partners with them. Those who are in deception, those who are still involved in the deeds of darkness, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are Light in the Lord, walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. Here's reality number two, that darkness necessarily is distanced from light. Now notice how I word that, that is necessarily distanced. In other words, darkness innately, inherently is separated from light. They don't mix by their nature. Because often we think about darkness and light and the distance between darkness and light. And when we think about it in terms of our Christian life, we think that it's something that we do. But I want to inform you that in these three verses, seven, eight, nine, your distance from darkness, your separation from darkness is primarily an issue of what you are. 
Do you see the text? He doesn't say you're no longer around darkness. He doesn't say you're now around light. He says you were darkness and now you are light. Watch this church. It's not that there is a stance of distance only. There is a state of distance first. You've been born from above and now you are no longer darkness. You are light. And so our stance of, dif- of a distance, our separation, our walking in the light, as he says here, and not partaking with him comes out of the fact that we aren't darkness. Do you see what I'm saying? And often we try to put the do in front of the are. And I just want to, again, as I've done for 17 years, I want to make sure you understand something. You're all, you are something before you do something. And you'll have a hard time doing the thing of separation and distance from darkness if you aren't light. So darkness necessarily is distance. In other words, it is innately, it's automatically, it's inherently separated from light. And as born again people of God, we are now distanced from it by the state of who you are, and now we take a stance against darkness, and so we walk accordingly. And so understand, this is speaking of our nature and who we are, and then subsequently what we do. That's reality number two. Let's read verses 10 to 12 and notice reality number three. Here's verses 10 to 12. Follow along with me again. He says, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. In other words, now that you're children of light, and you're not partnering with darkness, you're no longer like that, you're walking in light, you're seeking that which is good and right and true. He says, try to discern what's pleasing to the Lord. I would connect the idea of what's pleasing to the three modifiers above it. What is good, what is right, and what is true. That must be what's pleasing to the Lord. Wouldn't you agree? His, his thought here is discern that, prove that. The word discern here means to showcase, to approve, to to by, uh, to by action, test something and, and show it to be right. So he says, discern what's pleasing to the Lord. Then I believe he gives two aspects of discernment. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them, for it's shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. So here's reality number three regarding light and darkness, that, that darkness demands discernment from those living in the light. You are called upon now that you are light and are expected to live with a distance from light because you are distant from light, excuse me, darkness. You're called upon to discern your way of life and to do what's pleasing to the Lord, or I might add what is good, right, and true. Now, I love the phrase, try to discern, because it it gives me hope. Are you that way? Like, okay, uh, sometimes it's difficult. This is the present participle. And Paul is saying, make this your continuing way of life. Like just be continually discerning or testing or proving what is right. This is a discerning lifestyle. It comes and um, happens in two ways. We, first of all, reject what's wrong. Do you see that in the phrase, uh, don't take part in unfruitful works of darkness. So we, re, re, we reject what's wrong. And then in that rejection, we reveal what is right 
It may be that we just continually reveal what's wrong, but it's this idea of rejection and revealing. I think those are two aspects of discerning the text lays out for us. Don't partake and instead expose. Now, I I see this almost like a spiritual chemical reaction. That because you do A, B occurs. Now, I want you to hear my heart on this. Listen very intently. We often think about these being separate things. Like I'm going to do A, I'm going to reject the wrong, and then I'm going to reveal the wrong. I'm going to expose them. We think about a, a finger in someone's chest. We think about a loud voice in their ear. We think about a face-to-face confrontation about their actions. But in all frankness, the text says that the exposing the revealing of the wrong actions comes by our choosing of the right actions. Now, I'm not saying there aren't places and times in which we don't put a finger in a chest. Maybe we don't have an eyeball-to-eyeball conversation that's difficult. I'm not saying those don't have their place and at times appropriate. But in this text, the thought seems to be because you reject the wrong things, you're distanced from darkness the automatic reaction is that you expose it. Does that make sense? It's like your actions, they almost don't need explanation. People around you can see, wow, we know what's right and wrong now. Look how they acted. And so the the confrontation, the exposure, just naturally occurs, or could I say supernaturally occurs. Let me give you an example. You're at work, and in a moment, the language just goes to pot. It begins to resemble what verses 3 through 6 describe as crude joking, filthiness, coarse jesting. It becomes sexually filthy. It's dirty. It's also mocking. There's nothing about the language suddenly around where you're working that's fitting for a Christian. So you don't participate. You do not become partners with that. You reject that moment of darkness. And it's clear that because you're not participating, you don't think that's right. And it's kind of awkward in the moment because they're waiting for you to chime in and you're not. They're waiting for you to kind of smirk or laugh, but you're not. And so they're aware that so-and-so's not jumping in with us, but you never really say a word about it. You don't kind of make a scene. You don't point a finger. You just let your non-participation be the loud message. That's kind of what's going on here. That when you reject the wrong things, that alone is a message that, watch this, it, it reveals what's wrong and what's right. Now again, I want to repeat to you. I'm not saying there aren't moments you should speak up. There are. There are hard conversations to have. There are moments we should have a prophetic stance. Amen. But there are moments where this text says, just in our discerning lifestyle, And not choosing the wrong actions, that alone exposes and reveals what's right. If you're tracking with me, could you nod? You hearing me okay? Hear my heart on this? Amen. Notice the fourth reality here. Begins in verse 13. After talking about how we are light, and now we are to discern what's pleasing to the Lord, and this has a message in and of itself, one of of rejecting and revealing what's wrong and what's right. He says that when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. So as you live this way, 
as you have this kind of testimony, these biblically sound decisions that are good, right, and true, pleasing to the Lord, then things are exposed, they become visible. And then it says in verse 14, anything that becomes visible is light. And therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Here's an interesting reality, the fourth one, that deliverance from darkness is, it comes through the light of Christ. These are interesting set of verses here as Paul concludes this section on light and darkness. Because there's some parts of 13 that are easy to understand, and there's some parts that are a little difficult. Let's put our nose in the text. Notice this with me. Verse 13, anything exposed by the light becomes visible. We'd all say that's easy. Of course that's true. When you shine a light on something, when your life reveals what's wrong, we can all see it. But then he says, anything that becomes visible is light. Like that. That's weird. Like, so, so how does something become visible suddenly become the good thing? I think Paul here is metaphorically talking about the power of light to not only, watch this, expose and reveal, but also to transform. And then lest we think that there's some, uh, you know, generic light out there that we have within us or that we bring to the table. He says, oh, by the way, the light that transforms, it's the light of Christ. And he quotes either various parts of the Old Testament here. Some of these are phrases and even words from Isaiah, other books. Or there are some who think this may be parts of one of the very first hymns of the Christian church. Jury's out on that. Take your pick. Uh, they're both probably... Um, options here. The point is, the light that exposes and then transforms is the light of Christ. That's the only thing that changes a person. That's the only thing that, and I think two things point here, it's the only thing that convicts and converts. You see, I think both of those are in view here. That when the light shines upon the darkness, it's exposed. I think that's this conviction that you've all known if you're a child of God. Remember the day that the Holy Spirit convicted you that without Christ, you were destined for eternal separation from God? You were, you were headed for hell? And the Holy Spirit shined the light of the gospel upon you, and you turned to Christ, and you in repentance and faith believed? It was conviction and conversion. It was the light exposing and then the light transforming. And not just any light, not just your own light, it was the light of Christ. Hallelujah! And I think that's what Paul is, in a, in a metaphorical sense, kind of aiming at here. And so we begin to see. Yes, we, we've been deceived, but we've also now come to Christ, and we've been changed, delivered from that. And so we walk differently. And as people see that, they begin to realize there's only one way you can see this kind of difference is through Christ. So here are the four realities for you. That darkness depends upon deception to thrive. That, that darkness necessarily is distanced from light. When Christ changes us, he changes who we are and then what we do. That as we live this different kind of life, it demands discernment from us. And then that kind of discerning life that's pleasing to the Lord, it shines as a witness that the light of Christ is the only way out of darkness. Now, I don't want you just to hold these four realities in your, in your hands and say, okay, I've got four things to hold. I want to show them to you in what I would call somewhat of a chart that I think kind of puts these all together. I might even call it a flow chart or maybe even a flow table, okay? So get a picture of this. Maybe jot this in your journals. 
Uh, I'll have Tanner post this on our social media sites later today. Here's kind of how I see these verses, verses 3 to 14, kind of flowing together. There's some other modifiers I'll give you. But I think this helps us not see four realities segmented, but one thought complementing one another. For instance, let me just kind of walk you through these again. Review is the key to learning. Every teacher said what? Amen. So notice, Paul admits that we know deception exists, that the devil is trying to cover and hide, and he depends upon disguise and deception for his darkness to thrive. However, Christ's light has shone on us, and so we are entirely different. I'd remind you again, I'll be repetitious here. The words in chapter 5, verses 7 to 9, they're not environmental words. They're personal words. He doesn't describe darkness as, as something that, um, you know, we're around. It's something that we were, and he describes light as what we are. So this is a very personal understanding of being entirely different because of Christ. I'd remind you, this is what 1 Corinthians 6, 11 talks about when Paul says to the believers in Corinth, this is a beautiful verse. He says, in the midst of you are adulterers and adulteresses and thieves, greedy, idolaters. And he says this, that's what some of you were, but you've been washed, justified, and sanctified. Glory to God, church. We are not what we were. Amen? We are entirely different. We have been changed. And I would say to you, in all pastoral transparency, change is the overriding, distinguishing earmark of a true believer. I've pressed in on this lately, and I've pressed on it for 17 years. If there is no change, there's probably been no conversion. Is change slow? Yes. But it is change. Progressive sanctification exists because God's Spirit lives in us, and so we have different steps because we have a different seed. So because we're entirely different, what we are is changed. We now do different things. We discern personally. And this is the confrontation the Bible calls for. Now, again, I want you to hear me well. The Bible calls for a confrontation, not just by your lips at times, but by your life. And I think this is one of the problems in the, in the current church is we have, and you can see this on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, we have many folks who confront by their lips and is making the divide greater. We have fewer people confronting by their life. And often when we hear things and we don't see a life that matches, we discount what we hear. And I would encourage you, I would exhort you, let your confrontation be first because of what you are. Let your life's testimony speak so loudly that it's clear that who you're around and what they're doing is wrong, even if you never say a word. I, I kind of see the idea of 5, 10 to 12 as very synonymous with, with what Peter said in 1 Peter 3, to wives who have unbelieving husbands. He told them this. Peter said, win them without a word. Now think about that. It's so counterintuitive, isn't it? Peter instructed wives who have unbelieving husbands to not say anything, but instead, by their 
incredible, discerning, obedient lifestyle to win them. So it must be that Peter's confident that an incredibly obedient life carries great weight, so much so that an unbelieving husband could come to Christ. That's the same concept here. Again, I'm not saying there aren't moments that we shouldn't speak up. Prophetically, courageously agreed. But that has to be backed up by life living this very same message. Let us walk with balance, as Ephesians 4.1 says. Let us walk with consistency. And why do we do that? Because eternal deliverance is at stake. The light of Christ, watch this, must be seen. Now, let me just throw this verse upon you and let it weigh on you and let this verse confront you. In 2 Corinthians 4, Paul talks about how the devil has blinded the minds who don't believe. But then he says this, and I've, I've been convicted by this this week, really meditating on this word. He says, and so we, we live in such a way so that they would see the glory of the gospel of Christ. Now, I thought that was odd because in my world, I would want them to hear the glory of the gospel of Christ. I mean, that's what I do, Lord, I preach. But what did Paul say? Paul said, we are praying and we're serving and we're living so that those who have been blinded by Satan will see the glory of the gospel of Christ. Can that happen in preaching? By all means. In conversations, by all means. Hospitality, um, for sure. But do you see what Paul's driving at? That the message of the gospel is clear by the way we live. That we lift up Christ. Now, as you think about this flow table, this flow chart, as you think about these four realities, I just want you to kind of now, instead of having four you know, things segmented, but as you're kind of bringing it down to one thing to hold, understand that what you're looking at is really the beautiful process of conversion. It's highlighted, especially in these final three realities, in which we see this. Watch. Just look at the chart. Think about the text. God changes us. We live differently. Others see that and come to the light. Can I just review that for you again? This is what the text lays out for us. As we unpack it, understand it, he's just talking about God changing us, delivering us from deception and changing us entirely then we live that out in a discerning, courageous, at times, revealing way. And then that very lifestyle is what God uses to then help others see this transforming light as well. Now listen, in, listen again intently to me. There is admittedly more to this. When you think about evangelism and witnessing, there is more to this. It may include invites to services or to your house, Discussions over coffee or a Diet Coke. It could involve, you know, uh, conversations, questions. Uh, it, it involves a lot more, admittedly. But watch this. It can't involve less. It can't. It necessarily involves at least these three things. Your life has changed. You live differently and others see that. Is there more to evangelism? Yes, but could there be less? By no means. And this may be one of the problems 
with evangelism in the local church. We try to talk about something that, that we don't actually believe. We get into a church because we think it'll make us look good and take care of our image and project a certain kind of status. We dress a certain way, show up at a certain time. And then we know we've got to kind of get in line with the church program. So we say, well, you know, it's, it's about making disciples. And so we, like we're talking about it, we kind of learn how to speak about it. We can learn concepts and words and phrases like we're selling a product. But I'd remind you, evangelism is not selling something. It's not a presentation. It's a spiritual operation. It's God regenerating people and bringing them from death to life. It's God birthing people into his family. So you don't have flip charts and presentations and, are you with me guys? It's a life that shows a dramatic, entirely uh, different change has occurred. And we make different decisions in our sexual ethic and how we spend our money and how we relate to people. We walk in love as Christ of the church. We forgive, we move forward, we reconcile. And people say, that is a different way to live. How is that possible? And we point to Christ and say, awake, O sinner, arise, and Christ will shine on you. Has this happened to you? Has genuine conversion occurred so that your life is so different? People are wondering, like, what happened to you? I heard someone last night say to me, yeah, if you don't believe God works miracles, look at my life. And I thought, man, that's some good preaching there. Church, this passage reveals for us really the ground upon which all effective disciple-making is built. Again, is there more to it? I'm sure there can be. Contextual situations, uh, yes, bring as much to it as possible, but we can't get less than this. This is where it begins. We are changed, and that change is the heartbeat of the message that others can be changed as well. And so these four realities, kind of summarized in this flow chart of sorts, brings me to one simple truth for you. Two weeks of preaching, 12 verses. Will you say this with me with passion, with conviction? My response to darkness stands on and under the reality of my deliverance from darkness. Amen, church? And if you want a vibrant witness, then live as what you are. You're no longer darkness. You are light. So discern what pleases God. Live that out. And watch those who then are exposed by your life be transformed by Christ's light. I think this is really the essence of Acts 1.8, by the way, in which Jesus told his disciples, you will be witnesses. Do you recall that verse? We love that verse around Missions Month, don't we? When it's time to send a partner to a closed country, it's time to encourage our church towards a missional lifestyle. We love Acts 1.8. You will be witnesses, but don't forget the third word in that phrase. You will be witnesses. 
Now, did they speak and preach and invite and were they hospitable and gracious? Were they hospitable and gracious and generous? Yes. They did a number of things. They, but Jesus number of hey, Jesus didn't say, hey, go and do witnessing. What did he say? What you did he will. say? You will be. In other words, there witnesses. In other words, there is a state that exists. That exists. That's in you. Are something. You are. Something. The question is not will. See, the question is not will you witness. The question is what kind of witness. The question is what kind of witness are you being? And this text shows us. Yes, this text shows us. Yes, we are witnesses. We are different. Let's discern. but to eventually show that this kind of transformation can occur with you as well. I received the most beautiful email Thursday. A man in our church, he brought me the loop on the situation that he's in, in which a relative of his is um, an unbeliever. And this story is still in process, so I'm trying to uh, I've got his permission to share this, but I want to navigate this sensitively. But a relative of his is, is an unbeliever and struggling with a wife that is very ill. And for years, this man in our church has attempted to witness and speak about the Lord, even his family has, to this relative. And the relative always changes the subjects. Uh, shuts down the conversation. Some of you who are in the same situation, you're, you're kind of grinning now. You're like, man, I've been there. I know what that's like. But he said, I, he said to me, Todd, I, I got a call last week. Well, just a few days ago. I got the email on Thursday. He said, and he wants to talk to you. Now, now follow me here. The point of the story is not me. The point of the story is the relative has come to the end of his rope with, this, with his wife's illness and doesn't know what to do and he thought about the man in our church and said, well, he knows what to do. And so he, he said, can I talk to your pastor? Now, the point is, he's thinking now about what his next steps are because of the testimony, the lifelong testimony of this man in our church. When I got the email, I, my heart was so overjoyed. I know this man. For years, he has been faithful in just living out a discerning, distinctive lifestyle. And did it appear for a few years that he's not being listened to? Perhaps. But when his relative realized, I don't know what to do at this juncture, who'd he call? He called the one person he knew had an answer. And he said, hey, I, I don't know what you've done for all these years, but he said, I need to talk to your pastor or to you. So we'll see how this unfolds, okay? But man, my heart it just began to sing that this text is actually true and it's pragmatically true. Our biblical actions, yes, they expose, but they also reveal and eventually they turn people to Christ. And it's the means God uses to shine his light upon people. So church, would you pray this with me today that your life would be so delivered from deception and so markedly different that others would be rightfully exposed and then supernaturally converted. Would you pray that way? And would you make your decisions and would you spend your money and would you speak in conversation and would you begin relationships with this in mind?
that God will use your life to expose and reveal, but then ultimately as a way to show the light of Christ so that they're transformed. That's what it means to walk with Christ in the light. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more messages, visit firstfamily.church forward slash sermons or subscribe to our podcast feed. Thanks for listening.